Welcome to the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guest is Rick Howard, the Chief Security Officer for Palo Alto Networks. Rick, welcome back to the program. Thank you, sir. It's fun to be here. Now, we enjoyed the conversation last time. We'll have another good one today. So uh, plenty to talk about at that. Just don't set expectations for me. I don't want to disappoint anybody. You will not disappoint. I remember <laughs> from last year. But while we uh, set some expectations, let me give you a little bit of context for our discussion today. From the beginning, OMB has made cybersecurity the linchpin of its IT modernization strategy. Let's face it, getting Congress to agree to fund IT modernization efforts wasn't going to be easy. But given all the recent breaches from OPM to J.P. Morgan Chase to Target, using cyber as a reason agencies need to modernize was not a heavy lift for lawmakers to get behind. But here we are three years after the OPM breach, and agencies continue to face the same challenges. OMB reports agencies continue to spend almost 80% of their IT budgets to support legacy systems, which means both the goals of IT modernization and improved cybersecurity, let's just say they're not happening quickly enough. At the same time, there is some hope. Lawmakers approved $19 million in 2018 for the IT Oversight and Reform Fund, which can be used for IT modernization and cyber efforts. DHS is spending $722 million this year, including $102 million on the Continuous Diagnostics or CDM program and $287 million on the National Cybersecurity Protection System, both helping agencies improve their cybersecurity challenges. So there's money coming in for agencies to address their cyber needs. It's not just through the IT modernization channel. So they do have this great opportunity to address both of these challenges. And my guest will tell us how. Once again, Rick Howard, the Chief Security Officer for Palo Alto Networks. So Rick, let's start at the beginning. The IT modernization, the cybersecurity, it's like chocolate and peanut butter. It's like peanut butter and <laughs> jelly. You see, I like a lot of peanut butter in my life. I do, yeah. Maybe talk about that central theme for IT modernization and why cybersecurity fits there perfectly. Well, I think it's a perfect time right now. Okay, that's the big news. Okay, the big technology change that's happened in the last five years, let's say, is it has been acceptable to move your operations to the cloud. And however you want to do it, you can use one of the big providers, you can do your own cloud, you're going to do some kind of cloud services like a SaaS service like Gmail, let's say, or Salesforce or something like that. Those have become acceptable applications to run in your environments. And the reason that's good news for the government is this is your chance to upgrade and modernize. The money's coming in, and you have this new opportunity to deploy your security tools and your operational tools into these new environments. So why would you duplicate what you have done in the past? Okay, here's your chance. You have a chance to modernize as you move to this new environment. So it's pretty exciting for the entire industry, but especially for the government. We've been talking about cloud, however, for a Seven years, I think, cloud-first policy is back sure. in 2010, so we're pushing uh, almost eight years now. Maybe w why is today different than a year ago or five years ago? Well, it's different because it, it looks like it's working. We, you know, we, it's on those hype cycles, you know, when everybody talks about it at first, and it sounds really great, but no one's really done it yet, so we're kind of waiting around to see what happens. Well, too many people have done it. Too many organizations have gone there now and had complete success. I was talking to one government organization in Southern California. They just decided to bite the bolt and go everything. Okay, get rid of all legacy stuff that used to be behind their perimeter and in their data centers and put everything in the cloud. And it was a big bite, especially for a smallish government organization. But man, do they reap the benefits now. One of the things that OMB just recently did is put out their new cloud smart policy. And this is an update from the cloud first policy coming going back to 2010. And underneath there, there's three kind of pillars, and one of them is all around security. Maybe talk a little bit about the intersection of cloud and security and how 
as agencies are moving to the cloud, they have to kind of keep that security front and center. Yeah, I think even before you even go there, you have to re- realize that there's two kinds of cloud deployments. And pundits like us, we get up and we just kind of throw cloud out there. But there's really two kinds. There's really SaaS, software as a service. This is like having a Microsoft Azure uh, out there, Microsoft Office 365. Like they're running your email server basically for you. Okay. And you kind of tie into that uh, and they run it for you and you put your data in there. And that's SaaS services, software as a service. The other kind is IaaS, infrastructure as a service. That's where you want to go to one of the big three or some other cloud provider and say, I need a Linux box in a virtual space. So let me push a button and spin up a Linux box to run my web server or whatever application you're going to run. And so you are more in charge of that. Okay, They're not running it for you. They just gave you a facility to run those kinds of uh, services. So there's two different kinds to look at, uh, and there's different ways to secure it. Uh, One of the things we have to remember as network defenders is the cloud providers are not responsible for your data. Okay, it's a shared security model in our world. That means the cloud providers, they secure their infrastructure, but you as the data owner have to make sure that your data is secure. And what's happened is kind of confusion out there because cloud providers have been offering security solutions for their environments, right? And so what that means is you guys, everybody, network defenders, are trying to deploy another set of security controls in these environments. And uh, last time I was here a year ago, we were talking about there's too many tools deployed anyway, right? I would say medium-sized organizations have 15 to 20 security tools deployed. Uh, Medium-sized companies have about 50 to 60. And large ones like big banks and big governments, they have over 150. And we just can't consume any more security tools. So when you're going out to the cloud and purchasing a cloud provider security tools, that's just more tools your staff has to learn to configure and to operate correctly. The good news is the technologies out there today, uh, that the technology you have uh, securing your perimeter now can be deployed easily into these cloud environments. And so you can have the same policy and same security posture that you have behind the perimeter uh, in your cloud environments. That's interesting concept to you talk about the, the security tools being used today on the perimeter can be pushed out to the cloud. Because one of the big changes we're starting to see is you got to secure at the data level or at the application layer, not at the perimeter level. That's the old thinking. And that that's the frustration around things like the trusted internet connections, the TIC mm-hmm. initiative, where, hey, back in 2007, we could talk about that. But now with the cloud, that's a whole different security model. Talk maybe about that. Well, I think the, I, I like to think of it in terms of data islands. Okay. In the old days, we would have just behind the perimeter, you know, and we just draw a big, big wall around our data and say, that's it. But in the last 10 years, it's become acceptable for employees to have their own phones, to have their own tablets, to have our own data centers, and to deploy to the cloud, all right? And so those are all five, there's five different kinds of data islands, right? And we need to secure all those because our organizational data is in all of those places. Um, And so that's kind of the thought process of why you'd want to have the same technology on all five islands, so that you can make it easier on your staff to implement and not make it so complex. I think that's a great point, kind of thinking about it as islands, because you're right. It's almost like a connected set of islands. Right. If I'm if I'm on one island with my phone, but then I go to my laptop, then I go into the cloud somewhere, each of those are separate, but they're all kind of connected by, we'll say, some bridges. And let's go a little further. So if you're not putting some security, some guardrails on those bridges, it's easy to fall into the ocean. I'm going way too far. No, I love the metaphor. We'll just keep using that metaphor, right? Um, But that's what happened. And and 
as all this has developed, security providers and technology providers said, we have to provide different tools for each of these environments. It's just not true, right? You can put your same security environments in all of those places. The question is, you should demand it. And if your vendors don't do that, you should be finding vendors that can't. Rick, talk maybe a little uh, as well about this idea of how, how you manage all these security tools and, and this idea that if the the lower number of tools that I'm down to, the easier it is to manage. Very similar to this idea of the fewer uh, internet gateways I have or the fewer yeah. instances I have, the, the easier it is to protect. This is really hard for network defenders, okay? Because what we were taught early on, when I started this back in the early 90s, okay, we were taught two kind of best practices, vendor in depth, okay, and uh, complexity is the enemy, all right? I guess I will throw a third one, best in breed, Okay, so all those three best practices have been kind of the word that we all use to protect our enterprise. And then in 2010, Lockheed Martin wrote this fantastic white paper about intrusion kill chains. And it told us that adversaries have to accomplish a number of steps to accomplish their mission. And we all thought that was going to solve the problem, right? We were going to put prevention controls at every phase of this intrusion kill chain. And it still is a great model, but the problem is the vendors came out of the network. Okay, now we have a tool for every phase of the intrusion kill chain. It is the reason we have so many tools deployed, right? And it's almost impossible to manage all those anymore, right? So what has emerged as a solution is the platform play. Okay, most of the firewall vendors out there now have this as a solution. They try to do most of the things you need for basic firewall services and protections down the entire intrusion kill chain. And then the vendors that you have should integrate with any of the other tools that you think you must have to supplement all of those things. I remember talking about this a little bit last year, right? The intrusion kill chain. I love that that concept. Do you get a sense here we are a year later? Are, are agencies any better at understanding the intrusion kill chain and uh, uh, protecting against the challenges that come with having all these complexities, all this, all these different tools? No, I, I, I'm frustrated here. Okay? Most people I talk to don't really pay attention that. Uh, and let's, can I just talk about the intrusion kill chain because it's such a cool idea? Yeah, let's talk. Let's give remind people what it is. So the Lockheed Martin researchers said in order for a adversary to be successful accomplishing their mission, and the mission could be lots of different things. It could be espionage. It could be crime. It could be hacktivism. It could be warfare. It could be general mischief. It doesn't matter. And it also doesn't matter what tools they use to accomplish this mission. They still all got to do about the same six things. They got to recon your network looking for bad guys. Then they craft a weapon that will leverage the weaknesses in your in your posture. They got to deliver it somewhere to some endpoint, like a laptop or a uh, phone or a printer or a fax. They got to convince us to do something stupid so we give them control of the machine. And once they've done that, that is they've established a beachhead inside their network. They haven't accomplished their mission yet, but now they're inside. What they normally do is establish a command and control channel up back to the internet to download more tools. That will help them complete their mission. And what they normally do then is uh, go lateral in the network, compromising as many machines as they can, looking for the data they've come to destroy or steal. Once they find it, then they try to exfiltrate it out through the command and control channel. All right, so the Lockheed Martin paper was fantastic, all right, that it told us that that's how everything was done. And we should put prevention controls at every phase of every known adversary that's out there. That is not what happened, okay? What we started doing was sharing, I don't know, bags of indicators of compromise with no context. And so our already overworked staff 
has no way to figure out how to prioritize anything. Uh, they're always overworked. They never feel like they're done. Okay, so it just hasn't manifested into something that's useful. It's still the right model. Okay, we just haven't got there as a community yet. And you're about to say you said I'm very frustrated, and that's why because because it's the right model. But but it sounds to me like agencies, even maybe the private sector, hasn't gotten their head around what that model looks like. And this idea of putting, if you will prevention controls in all phases, that's the not just the layered and defense in depth approach, but it means you're doing it at the firewall, you're doing it at the PC level, but you're also doing it at the application and the data layers too. Yeah, and I, I think that's the frustration. You hear people talk, they worry about the endpoint. Okay. And yes, that's where the action is. That's where the bad guy has to go. But even if you have legacy systems that can't even install a modern security tool in front of it, uh, the bad guy still has to work his way down the intrusion kill chain. All right, so if you have prevention controls in place above them and below that legacy infrastructure, you still have a good chance of keeping bad guys out of those networks. And in the end, that's what we're talking about. If they get in and start hopping from network to network, that's when agencies have a trouble. And I think that's why you also start hearing people about isolating the networks and you know, be able to go, and that's why you, we can get down the path of software-defined networking and network virtualization where they can say, okay, well, that network's a problem. Cut it off because it's a software, and we can still run our other systems or other applications on the other part of the network. I think that's that's the other big thing that's coming as well is the software-defined networking piece. Software-defined networking in the security space, we call it DevOps or DevSecOps. And this is the ability to automate the infrastructure. And like I said before, we are already going to the cloud. Right. And so we have the ability right now to automate all that now. Right. So I want to recommend a couple of books here. First book is The Phoenix Project. It's about it's a novel about DevOps. So the authors knew that most non-developers would read a, wouldn't read a book about DevOps unless it was entertaining. So it's a novel and it will give you the philosophy of what DevOps is if you've never heard of it before. And once you consume that, there's a second book I'm going to give you. It's more technical. It's called Site Reliability Engineering, written by the Google team. And if the Phoenix Project is the philosophy, Site Reliability Engineering is the how-to manual. It is about how Google did it back in 2004. Excellent advice. We'll make sure we give people links to that on federalnewsradio.com. In the meantime, uh, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Only one conference gives you access to not just the policy issues facing our nation, but hands-on experience with disruptive security that takes analytics and automation to the complex and rapidly evolving cyber threats we face as a nation. Prevent successful attacks. Focus on what matters. Don't miss the Palo Alto Network's Federal Ignite Conference, October 22nd and 23rd at the Grand Hyatt. Register today for complimentary admission at ignite.paloaltonetworks.com federal. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Jason Miller. My guest is Rick Howard, the Chief Security Officer for Palo Alto Networks. Rick, last segment, we kind of defined the problem. We, the, the intrusion kill chain concept was, was reintroduced to our audience. We also talked about how as they move to the cloud, we are talking about a hybrid cloud environment. And the fact is they have this wonderful opportunity to really modernize these legacy systems and because we have this comfortability of cloud. So what's the first step, if you will? What are some of the ways, what's a new approach, if you will, that agencies should start to consider as they move down this path of IT modernization and cybersecurity? Yeah, I think a couple of uh, things, well, just one big thing we want to think about here. We talked in the last segment about some old best practices, you know, vendor in depth and best of breed. And 
I'm telling you, I think it's time to jettison those two best practices. I know it's really hard for network defenders out there to hear that because we've been beating that into their heads for 20 years. But I'm telling you, that is the reason, that's probably the main reason, those two best practices are the reason we're in kind of the trouble we are in now, having so many tools to manage and not enough people to do them. So as a strategic approach, as you modernize your own government uh, networks and think about moving to the cloud, here's the best practice you should use. Seek vendors that integrate so that you do not have to do it yourself. Uh, whatever tools you have, they should do as many things as they can possibly in whatever box they are selling you. And then if it doesn't do everything you need, make sure that the vendor integrates with the other vendors you need for you so your staff doesn't have to do it yourselves, okay? It's gonna make it less complex, it takes the burden off of your InfoSec teams, and it'll allow you to have a transition to the cloud which is more uh, efficient. Too often what we hear from vendors, too often what we hear from agencies is they buy a tool for one thing. But they don't understand that the tool also does, you know, they buy it for A and then it also does B, C, D, E, F, G, and they never use those. So they buy another tool for B and then buy another tool for C, which is the point you're making. How do you as the vendor then educate your customers to say, hey, we only not do A, which is why you're buying us, but we also do B, C, D, E, F, G? Well, it's absolutely the, the the selling model that Palo Alto Networks uses, right? We try to, whatever you need, we try to go in there and say, you know, we do that. And then that gives us opportunity to talk to customers later and says, you know, we can also do these other things for you. But I will tell you, it is a huge frustration. You know, we will, uh, I'll go in and talk to CISOs around the world, and they have, they've already bought in on the whole idea that they need a brand new Ferrari kind of uh, next generation firewall. They've already done that. The frustration, though, is after they buy it, what do they do? They spend the next year duplicating all the old dateful inspection firewall rules that they had with the old technology okay, into this Ferrari of a firewall, right? And don't turn all the services on that they bought, okay? Because it's they didn't plan for it and didn't think about it. Okay? It's very frustrating. So that is my advice as your strategic approach. As you buy this new technologies, make sure you're buying time to deploy it properly. That's planning, that's deploying, and maintaining. When you go talk to federal customers, are they also doing the same thing, or is there no money to buy even the new tools? They just want the old tools. Government is, you know, typically their thinking is about 10 years behind commercial sector, right? Because they have to go through another whole set of layers of contracts and contract law and all that, and my sympathy is out to those folks, right? And you're right, they try to replace a tool because they had money for it in the budget, Okay, even though 10 years from now, that whole thing has been replaced by entire systems that make it a lot easier for you. When you start explaining that we have these other capabilities on this tool that you've already bought, that's already deployed across your entire network, do they go, oh, really? Tell me more? Like, what's the reaction? Because it just seems to me a lot of times, and we were all victims of it. Wow, I didn't know my DVR could do that. You know, it's, I have the same thing. My daughter was showing me the new thing on an iPhone where you can you can push the keyboard down and move the cursor around easily. I, I've had the phone for five years, didn't know I could do that, right? And I'm supposed to be a techie. It is the same thing for this cybersecurity stuff. I'd say it's about mixed, half and half. Okay, half are, oh, wow, I can do that. Let me go play with it and see what works. The other half are dumbfounded, okay, that I don't even know how to start even doing that. So I'm not sure what advice I could give them for that. <laughs> well, open your eyes, uh, open your yeah, ears. Yeah. Look at what you bought, you know, yeah. so. <laughs> and that's interesting because so much of money is being spent on cybersecurity. Uh, you know, last count is the civilian world, I think it was something like 12 or $15 billion. And 
a lot of that money is probably duplicative because it's on tool A and then we buy tool B, but tool A could have done tool B's work. Okay. So that's, that's why I'm always kind of asking that question. Are you seeing some some patterns, some trends where agencies are starting to kind of wake up a little bit and say, we've got to change our approach, which will take us down the acquisition question in a second. But, uh, but again, is it a CISO issue? Is it a CIO issue? Is it an acquisition issue? Who's Who's driving this this duplication, do you get a sense? That's a great question, right? Uh, and I, I think it gets kind of lost in translation from what I need to what actually gets purchased and what I can get through the contracting system and actually deployed in my networks. So it's a little bit of all of that, and it's kind of a bit of a voodoo magic to get it through there, <laughs> all right, and to, and to make something deployed. It's interesting, though, the governments especially, they're still thinking about the three tools we used back in the 90s, right? So back then, we all had a firewall an antivirus system, and an intrusion detection system. That's what we all deploy. It is way more complicated than that now, right? And most, and the thing is, the technology they've already purchased can do all the extra stuff. They just don't really know that they have them. Which leads us down the path of both acquisition and workforce, because I think they're interrelated, and, and it kind of follows nicely to this conversation about not understanding what they have in front of them. On one hand, it's a workforce issue because they have to have the skill sets, they have to have another understanding. On the other hand, it's an acquisition issue because what are you buying? Do you even know what you're buying? Mm-hmm. So let's start with the workforce piece, because as we also move to DevSecOps, that also changes the workforce. So when you guys start talking to the the cyber workers in the agencies, how are they should they be prepared for this kind of new environment of cybersecurity? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, it is totally changing. Okay. So uh, when I started, security professionals were security professionals, and some of them might have known how to code a little bit. In 10 years, we're all going to be coders first and security professionals second because of the DevOps movement. Okay. And what we have discovered is that we're going to automate not just the security tools, but the infrastructure that supports them. Okay, and there's some companies that are really good at this right now. It's Google, it's Facebook, it's Salesforce, it's Netflix. Have you heard about Chaos Monkey at Netflix? I have, but go, why don't you tell us more about it? Uh, Netflix is so good at this DevOps thing, all right, that they on purpose run um, modules that destroys segments of their network randomly. They want their developers, their infrastructure developers, their security developers to write code that is resilient enough to handle random outages wherever their network wherever their network resides and still deliver my house of cards to me on Sunday night, right? So it is fabulous. That's how um, amazing that is. Most of us are nowhere near that, and we need to get there, right? So it is basically having to code the infrastructure to do it. Now, there's two things here, right? There are it is the DevOps. Uh, coding that has has to go on in the security operations centers. And then there's the DevOps stuff that has to go on in just the movement to the cloud and our data centers. And those are two different things. In the SOC, we are automating the alerts coming in from all of our devices out there and making sure that humans don't have to respond to every single one of them. The goal for government organizations is to get out of tier one and tier two service with humans responding to that. That should be all done by code. And leave the tier leave the tier three analyst to handle anything that gets through all of that automation and needs a human to look at it. That's what you should be driving for. So in ten years, security professionals are going to be coder coders first, uh, and then security people. 
So are you practicing your C++ or your <laughs> which one? Yeah, right now it's Python, but it doesn't matter. Learn some code, some <laughs> language somewhere. Okay, you'll be ahead of the game. I just figured because you commented on that you couldn't use your iPhone. I figured C++ <laughs> was in your wheelhouse. <laughs> the other piece of this, obviously, is, is you talk about security side, but you also talk about moving to the cloud, and that's the IT modernization side. DevOps, as we've talked about many times over the past two or three years, that's the future. You look at a capability use the DevSecOps process to get that capability out fairly quickly, run in sprints. That also provides a, a, an additional, if you will, opportunity for agencies to combine that security and IT modernization effort. Talk maybe a little bit what you're seeing there. Well, let's just talk about that for a second because it's here's what we get if we get a DevOps environment, and we can talk about the acquisition strategy for that, right? You're not just automating the apps that you run or run in the cloud. You're automating the infrastructure, meaning that you're going to have code that does the quality control. You're going to have code that deploys it automatically. You're going to have code that monitors that code as it's running in production. You're going to have code that notices it's not performing correctly and roll it out of production to automatically fix it and to automatically roll it back into production all in the same day. That is what is possible, and most of us are nowhere near that. So when you are devising your acquisition strategy, the tools that you buy need to be a minimal to that kind of environment because that's where you want to be when you get down this path to be able to do all that with code. So, uh, so what does that mean? What I, my frustration with the government is they want to have lots of different vendors and whatever security package they have because that's fair and, and it makes it makes it so we're not trying to pick on one. That causes you so much trouble with DevOps because your developers have to know how to interface with all of those tools now. So it goes back to what we were saying earlier, right? You want to pick a platform that, from a vendor you trust. You make sure you trust them because you're going to be with them for a while. But as soon as you pick that one, okay, that is a partnership you're going to go forward with, right, so that you can get this environment in place quickly and efficiently. And then, the, and then the acquisition side of this also changes because the way you're buying, if you look at uh, organizations like the Homeland Security Department's U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service, they have a bunch of vendors who are providing this DevSecOps environment, and they're working together and against each other. Yeah. And I think that's the big change that agencies have to get used to is this idea that you're not, pick, not picking one vendor to do one thing, but you're picking a bunch of vendors to do a bunch of things all at the same time. Yes. Okay. They all have to work together. They have to work at the same motion to, to accomplish that really complicated thing I just described about automatic everything. Right? And if that could happen, though, that is their, their nirvana, okay? If we can get there, okay, you can be just like Netflix and deliver House of Cards with whatever applications you have. Can you imagine a chaos monkey at, at a Homeland Security? No. FBI? All right, that's just crazy. <laughs> uh, but I'm hopeful, okay? I'm hopeful. <laughs> Rick, we're just out of time before I let you go. As we move forward, and, and, and what's the big takeaways from our discussion today? So I guess there's two things I would say, right? The first one is we have an opportunity now, okay? We, as every, everybody is moving to the cloud, even governments from around the world have decided this is the thing to do, all right? So the first takeaway is let's not duplicate our legacy systems that we've had for 20 years in this new environment called the cloud. Why don't we take this opportunity to build something new and better and more efficient, all right? That's the first one. The second one is you mostly have the technology in your organizations now that can handle this. Why would you buy additional technology to do more security? Try to use the same technology with the same policies in all of those five data islands, and it'll make your life a lot easier. I guess the last piece of this is when you talk about the agencies and, and the data islands and, and kind of use what you have, what, what can Palo Alto do? What can any vendor do to kind of educate their customers? 
programs like this, right? So going out and talking to everybody, expanding the horizons about uh, what is possible and kind of get out of the mode that was 10 years ago. Okay, it is possible to improve your situation. Let's just get to it. All right, well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Let me thank my guest, Rick Howard, the Chief Security Officer for Palo Alto Networks. Uh, Rick, thank you so much again for appearing on the program. Thank you, sir. It's always been a lot of fun. You've been listening to the discussion, Innovation and Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search innovation. Thank you for listening to the Innovation and in Government Show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion can be found on demand at Federal News Radio, keyword innovation.